0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, live in Houston, digging himself out of confetti, falling from the Toyota Center rafters, Ben Golliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. It's funny you mentioned that. I almost did, I mean, almost got concussed last night, frankly, because a glob (laughs) of confetti, like a pound and a half of confetti, fell and just, like, smacked the media table desk about a foot and a half from where I was sitting, uh, I might have been doing this podcast from an emergency room if, uh, if I had been <laughs> leaning forward into my left just a little bit, but I'm proud to announce I'm here in good shape. You know who else is in good shape right now? It's Austin Rivers. I think this guy has got one of the greatest locker room law- lawyering stories of recent memory. He was talking his way out of Washington with post-game press conference after post-game pe- press conference this season, You know, basically yep. just calling out his teammates, lack of accountability, Gets to Phoenix, uh, you know he didn't even really play there. He, he bounced his way out of Phoenix, kind of on that Tyson Chandler mold of like getting out before uh, you know all heck broke loose. And now he's playing high level basketball with the Houston Rockets in an incredibly entertaining, hard fought series against the Golden State Warriors. Could you ever have imagined when you were sizing up your your Washington Wizards depth chart <laughs> at the start of the season that Austin Rivers would be the guy who would be playing? at the pinnacle of basketball, some of the best basketball we've seen in years?
0: Well, you know, look, if I'm being 100% honest, I was open to the possibility of a Dwight Howard, John Wall, Austin Rivers finals run back in September and October. So I could see it, absolutely. But uh, but no, (laughs) jokes aside, like this is insane from the Rockets. I'm happy for Austin Rivers. Like if we want to talk about Austin specifically – like, his time in D.C., I was shocked by how much I enjoyed him. I was shocked that he was the voice of sanity in the Wizards locker room, which is perhaps a strike against the Wizards in general. But, um, but I also went to Houston and loved talking to Austin Rivers down there. And honestly, I kind of hated how much I have come away liking Austin Rivers over the last 12 months because he was like – a great villain for several years there, uh, but he's been fantastic for for the Rockets. And and when I actually talked to Austin Rivers in Houston, like I was comparing supermax superstars Harden and John Wall. And when I asked him about that, I would he like he just kind of glared at me for about ten seconds and was like, "I can't even go there, man. I'm just happy I'm not in D.C. anymore." <laughs> and all of which is to say he survived and um, and yeah, there's is now really no comparison the rewards.
1: There's no comparison and I bring him up and kind of highlight him because I think he's representative of Houston's, refurbished lineups around James Harden like if you compare where the Rockets were in these Western Conference Finals like 4 years ago in 2015 to where they are now in terms of their ability to match up with what Golden State does well and also to put players around Harden who put him in position to go out and score 41, 38 points in these games as the series unfolds it's guys like Austin Rivers uh you know who's kind of like this pest It's a guy like P.J. Tucker, who's been a huge uh, X factor for these last two years against Golden State. It's a guy like Eric Gordon, who's just continually bringing dagger shots night after night uh, in his role. And I think that, to me, that's the big story from this series so far. Houston's lineups, I mean, they've been closing super small, five guys all 6'6 or shorter uh, in that closing group, uh, kind of going head-to-head against the death lineup. They sacrifice a lot of length, uh, they sacrifice uh, a lot of size inside, but they're making it work because PJ Tucker is creating a lot of second chance opportunities because the the court is so incredibly spaced for Harden that he's now got a little bit more room to work with as he tries to pierce Golden State's defense. Uh, and they also just have, you know, frankly, a better spirit about them. Uh, you compare like Austin Rivers to maybe a Trevor Ariza or Mba Mute, guys who may be faded from the past uh, in, in postseasons for Houston. Uh, you know, Austin Rivers is not shy you know, whatsoever. <laughs> and He's I think not. the Rockets needed a little bit of that, right? Like if you're going to bounce back from missing 27 straight three-pointers in game seven, like as an organization, you need yeah. a lot of guys who just don't care. And Austin Rivers represents that. And look, we're burying the lead. Harden was sensational we in are. We game are. three You've and four. But it, part of the reason bearing why... I, the lead here, Yeah, part of the reason why though is that supporting cast.
0: Yeah, and I and I think that's a, a great point to make because Austin Rivers has been excellent. Um, Eric Gordon has been even better than excellent, honestly, in most of these games. And P.J. Tucker has been like a goddamn superhero for them and is just everywhere at all times playing middle linebacker, playing center. I, I think Kerr actually said the Rockets have a bunch of middle linebackers out there. Which is true, but really is he's basically just talking about PJ Tucker, who must seem like three different players to the Warriors. But uh, he's everywhere, incredible.
1: And Harden's strength has been coming through too. I mean, Harden's been a bully on the on the ball, like getting towards Mm -hmm. towards the basket. I think that's been uh, something that Golden State is trying to adapt to. I think another key point: it's not just Houston's offense that is benefiting from these lineups; it's their defense too. And there's so much. Uh, more prepared to deal with Golden State's spread lineups than they were in the past because now they really can switch absolutely everything and because they've had enough experience accumulate doing it where they kind of know Golden State's counters at this point and I'm not sure if you had this sensation but when I kind of watch Golden State's offense at times it's very strange, but it almost seems like they're out of counters. They're out of answers. Like it's really devolved into this, like, okay, like Kevin's probably just going to have to save us because even if Steph comes out firing, uh, you know, even if Kevin Durant is red hot, they're still bottled up a lot of the time. They're still struggling to find uh, high percentage mm-hmm. looks and they're taking care of the basketball. Great. Like, it's not like they're being sloppy. It's not like they're wasting possessions, but I think Houston's, uh, you know, defensive personnel fits them. Uh, you know, because of that middle linebacker thing that you're talking about. I mean, draped all over Durant, draped all over Curry, uh, all up in every, you know, Clay Thompson's uh, shooting zones. Like if, if he's coming off a screen, they're right there, ball hocking him. I think it's been very impressive. And it's just, to me, it's kind of the evolution. I mean, we are so far removed from the days of like, oh, hey, Dwight Howard, you get to do a few post-ups like here and there, or like you're going to be the defensive anchor in the paint. You know, it really wasn't that long ago uh, that he was in Houston, but that feels like a lifetime ago now.
0: Yeah, well, and your point on Golden State running out of counters is a, is a really smart one. And I think part of what they're struggling with is that a lot of these guys are just exhausted right now, particularly the role players. And part of that is a credit to the pressure that Houston is able to put on them on the other end. Because like like you said, like all five guys are a threat in different ways on the Rockets' side, which isn't always true of the, the lineups the Warriors have out there. But like P.J. Tucker obviously not like the most skilled offensive player, but he can knock down shots. And then when a- anyone else is shooting on the Rockets side, like PJ Tucker is crashing the boards at 150 miles an hour and the Rockets have to, or the Warriors have to deal with that. So like, I think the way that golden state can ultimately beat this Houston team is by getting to the rim, but it's harder to get to the rim against good defense when you're exhausted. And all, like, like, We said a week ago, Golden State was going six and a half deep in this series. And at this point, maybe it's like five and a half because they're not really able to play Looney either. And it's just like they're in in a tough, tough spot right now. And I'm really curious to see how they respond. Uh, But like as the series goes on, there's there's reason to worry about like how the how their legs are going to look, you know?
1: No question. And like you look at the shooting disparity too. I mean, Houston's got five shooters on the court. They don't have the superstar shooters like Steph or, uh, you know, Clay or Kevin Durant, but they've got five shooters. Their spacing is better. I mean, Golden State, a lot of the time, even with their best lineup, they're playing with three and a half shooters because all is kind of hit or miss and Draymond's yeah. not a shooter at all. So if you just go, who has better spacing over these last couple of games? Uh, it's been, you know, Houston's small lineup. Really, there's no question about it. Um, uh, I mean, Durant is still the X factor for Golden State. I think he's going to wind up having to be their answer. I think late in games, he's been their most reliable guy. And to mm-hmm. your point about, you know, fatigue and all that, like is that what happened with Curry in game 3 because to me that was the big regret moment uh for Golden State. Like they had their chance to put this series away and Curry gave them a flat F in the fourth quarter and overtime. Over 6 uh no assists, no rebounds, four fouls committed some in really important moments and I think it could be a fatigue factor from him. It could just be that the defenses have adapted so much over these last couple of years that things that he was able to get easily, he no longer yeah. can get, and he just has to work harder in these moments. Um, there's been some you know, mental breakdowns with him in the foul trouble where he's just making kind of unconscionable decisions. Do we chalk some of those up to fatigue? Uh, I'm not sure, but it does feel like a war of attrition because it's not just Golden State who's going to be feeling this fatigue factor. I mean, we remember last year, you know chris paul was the guy who broke down basically first right like when the minutes yeah. started adding up he was the guy who couldn't make it to the finish line and houston's guys are working so hard i mean they're exhausting themselves for basically one possession victories in both game 3 and game 4 that uh, somebody's going to break and i think that's the story of this series like we found out who the 10 best players are the two best lineups in the league right now are They're going head to head and, you know, at some point someone's going to break and we're just kind of waiting, sitting around waiting for who that weak link is going to be.
0: Okay. So we have a tight window to record this podcast. The Steph point, I want to table that for about five minutes because we have about 45 minutes total to record this. You're traveling, I'm traveling. We're both kind of all over the place this week. As far as the series is concerned, You have done a great job being conciliatory here, not tooting your own horn too loudly, but I have to eat crow on a couple different fronts on this podcast, so I'll start here. James Harden, man, after game one, after the Rockets embarrassed themselves and became a punchline around the entire sports world and we don't have to relive any of that, but like we can agree that they didn't play that the way they probably should have. Harden in particular, he had 35 in game one, but he was preoccupied with the officiating for most of the time. And I just like, coming out of that game, I was not impressed with anyone in on the Rocket side. And then that also, the, like, the spectacle that was created in the wake of that game put a ton of pressure on Harden to come out and perform for the rest of this series. And he has responded by, like, playing his ass off. And I know you and I will probably argue about Harden's playoff resume until the end of time because, like, you can kind of argue it both ways. But I have never seen him play as well as he did in Game 4. He was even good in Game 2 when they lost. I mean, like, he came back and fought really hard and, and persevered in that game. But Game 3, he was very good. I would say he's like a B-plus, A-minus level Harden. And then Game 4 was as close to A-plus Harden as I've ever seen in the playoffs, or at least since like 2012 in that Thunder Spurs series. So I like how much of that is Harden adapting? How much of it is teammates? How much of it is the Warriors being vulnerable? What do you think?
1: Well, it's so funny because like you mentioned, he basically had an A plus, but he's still living right on the the edge of the narrative, right? Like he misses a couple hero ball threes <laughs> late in the fourth quarter, and then he misses that free throw. If KD bangs that three from the top of the key, which was wide open, and they somehow yeah. wind up losing that game, Harden is the biggest villain on the internet today. And that's kind of what kills me sometimes about the narratives around him. I don't think that they're totally... Encapsulating everything that he's doing on the court and putting his team in position to succeed, I think he's mm-hmm. taken some big steps forward this year. Obviously, the step back three is a big deal. I think his conditioning is lights out. I think he's able to uh, withstand heavy minutes and longer, uh, you know, stretches and you know, head-to-head matchups against the elite defenses better than he was a couple of years ago. But I also think he's getting more help. You know, I think they've done a really nice job of surrounding him with basically two good looks. One. Know, staying big, having Capella using that lob threat uh, to get your spacing. Two, going super small and allowing him to attack into disp- uh, paint better than he has uh, in years past. And I-, I mentioned the Dwight Howard thing earlier, but like it's so different. Uh, you know, when you're sizing up elite perimeter defenders like an Andre Iguodala or a Clay Thompson, or you're getting a switch on a Steph Curry, and you want to be able to exploit that, you have so yeah. many more options at your disposal when you've got. Four legit shooters in their correct spots, play after play, and you can kind of wear uh, defenders down. And Harden's, you know, finally getting a chance to, you know, to really do that. And he's found some success with it. I mean, he hasn't been perfect in this series, but I think he's been very steady, you know, playing at, you know, that quote-unquote MVP type level. And it's really turned into this incredible, just kind of like gunslinger showdown between him and KD. And I think one of the biggest changes from this series if you look Mm -hmm. at where it was after game one, like you described to where it is now, is that the disgust that Golden State felt for how Harden was like, you know, flopping or falling down on his shots or how they were making such a big deal about officiating has totally given way to this like mutual appreciation love fest where like Katie's shouting out Harden and Steve Kerr is coming up on the (laughs) podium and saying, hey, I love this game. This is just two teams at the high level. And, you know, Steph saying he he embraces the challenge of all the criticism he's facing. Chris Paul, you know, talking about how uh, fun it's been to be kind of, you know, competitive junkies against yeah. you know a very worthy opponent that's been the biggest difference to me it's like there's finally all the BS is to the side and we've got two really good teams with two great lineups that are you know, fantastic foils for each other just playing pure basketball and it's like the hoopers have come out and it's been great to watch
0: yeah well and i think that there are some real like sharp ideological differences between the warriors and rockets they kind of colored some of the disdain that we saw after game one. But now everyone is just so exhausted and kind of vulnerable and fighting back and forth that there is kind of more mutual respect that is pervading. And it's been cool to watch. But one thing I wonder about is like, did the NBA go to these teams behind the scenes and say to them, look, like you're going to be our showcase for the next two weeks and it is completely unacceptable for you to spend the entire two weeks bitching back and forth at the refs and making this series like completely unwatchable. Because there has been like a 180 degree change from really both teams. I mean, like there was talk back and forth to the officials in Game Four, but not the not to the incessant degree we saw in Game One. Um, and like that's been one of the cooler twists in this series is like they. They both have made a concerted effort to kind of like put the game first. And I wonder whether they were kind of prodded in that direction by the league.
1: Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Goliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your sleep number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen, now for only seventeen You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Well, whatever brought the best out of the Rockets, let's be thankful for it because they really responded in a big way in Game 3 and Game 4. Uh, yeah. KD turned in a masterpiece in Game 3, and they were able to survive that uh, in part because of you know Steph's poor play down the stretch of that game. But they have just been rock solid. The energy factor was absolutely there at home. I mean, so much so that Draymond came out after Game 4 and was basically putting it all on his shoulders and saying, look, they're outworking us. You know, the three PJ Tuckers that you're describing, all of those middle linebackers are winning the battle of the pain, winning those offensive rebounding battles, those loose ball battles. And you know, that's winding up being a decisive factor. For Houston, though, I think a real point of pride for them should be how well they've done against Steph Curry. Now, Steph yeah. had a tough stretch there, obviously, late in game three. But when you're looking at how well Houston's able to kind of bottle him up, make his life difficult, uh, just, you know, decrease the expected value of every shot that he's taking, whether by contesting it or by making him work or, or, you know, keeping away from the free throw line or, uh, you know, uncontested shots at the basket, all that stuff. It's just night and day from where it was a few years ago. And I'm actually wondering, like, I think Steph Curry is a better technical basketball player right now than he was, say, in 2016. I think he's just worked on his game. He's kind of in his prime. Uh, everything else like that, but I'm not sure he's going to be able to ever show that same type of impact that he had in 2016 because everyone else has had a few years to kind of catch up to him. I mean, I just look at like the the way Houston is trapping him, you know, showing mm-hmm. him extra help and then being able to recover more effectively than they did in years past. I mean, to me, like Steph clearly still has that same gravity and, and you know, b- the ability to bend a defense towards him. But I think the defenses have started to adapt a little bit and figured things out. And, you know, I know Houston has given up a decent number of those lobs from Draymond to Iguadala, especially in game three. But for the most part, they've had success keeping Steph in check, uh, you know, sending that extra help when they need to without getting burned on the backside. And it just kind of turns into this existential question for Steph is like, are you just going to be a bystander to the Durant versus Harden showdown? Like, are you now. Relegated to that that second tier role, which is not something he was in a few years ago, and I think that he maybe doesn't have the same physique or the strength, uh, or you know some of the other t- uh, talents or, or skills that you know players like a Kawhi Leonard or a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James might have to deal with some of the defense that he's facing. And yeah. to me, he looks a little bit lost at times, and it's sad to say that. Uh, I'm not trying to be the guy who's like you know calling him a playoff choker and everything else, but we're seeing a different version of curry's impact than we saw a few years ago.
0: Yeah, and you know, this is part of the um loss uh for team sharp or one of the several losses over the last couple of weeks. I am a you know, died in the wool Steph believer. I said he was one of the three best offensive players on the planet on the last podcast, which many people reminded me of when Steph went out and was awful in game 3 and like he really did—if the Warriors lose this series, that Game 3 will be what we all look back on. And it's not, so, it's not so much the shooting necessarily, but it's also like he missed five or six shots around the rim that he normally hits. And, and you're right. Like Defensively, he's making just like careless errors, and it reminds me of watching him during the 2016 finals where some of the turnovers he would make, you just— look up and you're like are you kidding me like what is what are you thinking what's happening here like do you realize this is the finals and so like he's really struggling and I think the question that you're asking is going to be relevant not just for the rest of this rocket series and not just for the rest of this playoff run because like the Warriors are going to be going five or six or at most seven deep the whole way and they're really going to be stretched thin here and they're going to need Steph um, but it's also going to be relevant for the next couple years in Golden State because if Durant leaves this summer, it's going to be on Steph to be that kind of like dominant scorer again. And, um, and teams are going to be able to say, look, we're willing, to, even if they keep Clay, like we're willing to trap you and take our chances with Clay and Draymond and Alfonso McKinney. And, I mean, he already gets the most attention of any offensive player in the league. And we saw that in the finals last year where the Cavs are trapping him basically every time he crosses half court. And so, I, it's, I don't know how he's going to respond. I do hope that we don't hit a point where people start retroactively saying, like, Curry was never as great as everyone said. And that was this was all like a mirage because I think that's total bullshit. And if you want to say... He doesn't have the iconic playoff moments. That's because generally when Steph plays well, Golden State is blowing teams out. So it, like, I think that people who are out here like, truth-ring his entire playoff history are taking this too far. But like, going forward, uh, this is going to be a, a major, major question. is like, can he find ways to dominate and, and counter some of this stuff?
1: Right, and you can see his value when Golden State, when he's in foul trouble and it's like, okay, Kevin, you have to do literally everything. Bring the ball up the court, post up, like do everything. Um, We need you to to save us in those moments. And so when he's off the court, the impact is still there. I just think that his maximum impact was at that moment where no one had ever conceived of a player being able to do the things that he could do. And it's only natural that over the course of multiple years even if he's improving his own game, that everybody else would be able to catch up a little bit. And so I think when you're looking forward, like if you take Kevin off this team, let's say he goes to the Knicks or wherever else, I think Golden State's offense is still so good that they would be, you know, like a top five or maybe even a top three offense in the league, even without Kevin Durant. But I do wonder if some of the trapping stuff that we've seen work against other guards, um, like whether it's Damian Lillard or, or whoever else in the postseason, might now be more effective against Steph if he didn't have Kevin Durant there as the sort of the bailout or the counterbalance option, uh, mm-hmm. simply because teams have better personnel to execute the trapping stuff and, and the switching and, and all of that than they did three years ago. Like you don't see anybody messing around with centers anymore. Like Zubach for the Clippers, wasn't he like this huge home run story for them after the trade deadline? He didn't play at all against Golden State, right? Uh, yeah. you look at like Nene. We saw what happened when he tried to get on the perimeter against Steph, right? He gets a shot buried over his head and Mike D'Antoni immediately afterwards is like, Okay, we're not gonna do that again. <laughs> like we gotta <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we gotta avoid that Learned mistake. I-
0: that lesson. Yeah, no. Right. Your points are 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 really well taken. And and I think that that, that question is going to define the next three or four years of this Warriors era. And um, all I would say to push back on not necessarily you, but some of the emails we've gotten being like, when are you going to talk about Steph's failures? I think part of what signifies Steph's greatness is that even his average games are still like really, really impactful. And you could go back to any number of games from the last few years, but even some of the games earlier in this series, like he's not as dominant, but I think he also still makes life easier on guys like Durant and doesn't really like the, the plus minus numbers tend to bear that out. Like when he's on the floor, the Warriors are really, really tough to deal with. And um, the key is going to be getting him in rhythm because like you saw the Warriors made that a priority in game four And they like, that's going to have to continue because Durant is so good that you can run everything through him and, and have a decent shot. But like the Warriors are just so much better when there's more of a balance between those two.
1: Yeah. And they're going against a team with five shooting threats, like five legit three point shooting threats. So you need to have the best shooter in the world playing like it. Right. One thing that I thought also that was interesting, I agree that he's still having the impact. Like there's no question. I think he's a victim of his own success because I mean, he blew minds in 2015 and 16, like coaches everywhere, were just like, what are we supposed to do? We have no solution to this. Like, you know, it it took literally years for everybody to figure it out, but there is a visceral difference now. Like I remember being down there in 2015, the Western conference finals, I think Steph had like 40 plus points at the Toyota center. And like, he just ran all the fans out of the building in the third quarter. It was like one of those games where it's just like, this guy's impossible. We have no answer for him. When he teed up that final three-pointer at the end of game four, like, it, you know, KD misses his, it bounces back to Steph, Steph gets his shot. I'll be honest, man, I did not expect Mm. Steph to make that shot in that moment. I know that sounds like complete shade, but I don't know. I don't know if it's because he was shooting poorly in that game. I think he was four for 14 from beyond the arc. I don't know if it's because he's been shooting poorly in this series. I don't know if it's because Houston's done a, a really good job of making him work hard, and he's probably got tired legs and all the other things that we've talked about. But yeah. that was the key difference to me. It was like in 2015, he's not only burying that shot, he's doing some just insane in celebration to punk the entire Rockets fan base. And I just didn't have that fear in game for him.
0: Oh, man, that's a great litmus test from where we are with Steph and where we are with the Warriors, because I will be 100% honest and say that I felt the exact same way. When KD pulled up four feet behind the three-point line, I thought it was going in.
1: How did he miss that? (laughs)
0: Steph hit it, I did not think it was going in. The one thing I will say is I'm glad that they both had open looks at the end because if it had only been one of them taking it and missing it then there would have been 48 hours worth of like unbearable kd versus steph takes and like who who really should be running the warriors i'm glad that they both missed it but i'm with you i didn't think steph was gonna hit that shot which is a strange place to be after the last five years so um and we'll see do you have any thoughts on like did did the games in Houston make you waver on your Warriors pick at all? Because I have never seen this team this vulnerable.
1: Yeah, they're getting pushed like never before. I'm still with Warriors in six, but uh, I don't think they're as panicked as they should be. Let's put it that way. Like they try to come mm-hmm. out and play all calm, cool, and collected, and you know Draymond saying, uh, you know, it's just an effort thing. If we work harder, we're going to win this series. Uh, you know, they've they've actually run up against a team that can you know, if they get hot, like they can outshoot Golden State and they can yeah. outwork Golden State. They can uh, have some level of defensive success against Golden State star players. Now they haven't really taken Kevin Durant out yet of this series. And I think that yeah. ultimately a lot of the solutions from Golden State's side are going to start with him and they're going to start with that, um, you know, Hamptons five lineup. But, you know, that group has me a little bit nervous, like Iguadala, you know, didn't shoot the ball very well in game 4, didn't have a big offensive impact in game 4. Uh I understand he Well, that's that's he what suffered I worry a, about. Yeah, he suffered <laughs> his, a minor knee injury. They're all running these guys up 40 plus minutes where they've never really had to do that in the past. And this is uncharted waters for Golden State, no doubt.
0: Yeah, well, and they also they've been leaning on Iguodala to hit open shots, and Iguodala to his credit is actually hitting those shots, but like That's not a good spot for the Warriors to be if you're depending on Iguodala's scoring. And they've needed Draymond Green as well. And, like, that's where I worry is that the Rockets just have more good players and more, like, solid B-level options. And right now the Warriors have, like, Steph and KD and sort of Draymond. Draymond's been great on defense, but, like, Clay has been kind of mia so I don't know. They have a lot to prove. And again, as I said a week ago, it's going to be cool to see them tested. And, um, and shout out to Harden, who is playing the best playoff basketball of his life right now and uh, it has been coming through huge for Houston. So um, continuing with the theme of Team Sharp in Crisis, let's continue on to the Bucks celtics series. But first, Ben, today's show is brought to us by ProFlowers. Don't forget to thank the real pros this Mother's Day because where would you be without your mom? Pro Flowers is an easy way to let your mom, your spouse, or any other mother in your life know that you care. You can choose from a variety of bouquets and unique vases that suit every mom's style. Then simply select the delivery date you want.
1: Pro Flowers carefully packages your flowers and delivers them fresh from the farm. Express delivery means her flowers stay fresh. Right now, get one dozen assorted roses for $19.99. Double the roses and get a premium vase for just $9.99 more. Visit proflowers.com, click the microphone in the upper right corner, and enter our code, OPENFLOOR. That's proflowers.com, click the microphone, promo code OPENFLOOR. Mother's Day is May 12th, so don't wait. Order like a pro and get this amazing rose deal to thank all the moms in your life.
0: All right. Continuing on here, we have a question from Morgan who says, Hey guys, are Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Morris, and Terry Rozier fake good shooters or just fake shooters? And Morgan, if I could workshop this question a little bit, what I would say is, are they fake good shooters or just fake good players? And I feel like the answer is probably the second one so far in this book series. The Celtics have been a disaster. I am beside myself. You're killing with...
1: me with this framing. Come on, man. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna throw this all on the supporting cast oh. and not Kyrie. Let's let's get to the heart of the issue. It's a is Kyrie I Irving know. problem, and you know it. Come on.
0: Okay, if you want to talk about Kyrie, make your case, Ben, because certainly he deserves all Ky- Literally, all right, Kyrie has spent seven months talking about how he was going to deliver in the playoffs. Me, like an idiot, believed it, because, as I said before the playoff series here, I emailed a friend and was like, I half my brain actually believes in Kyrie and a hundred percent of my brain just wants to see his skeptics proven wrong. And so I got suckered in on the Kyrie front. And I also thought that the like schematically Boston matched up very well with Milwaukee, which we saw in game one, they kind of do. Um, but a, the bucks have made a ton of adjustments and B, this was the series where Kyrie came in and had a chance to prove himself as the, lead superstar for a potential title contender and i can't believe how much he has struggled so do your worst
1: well i can believe it for sure i mean i, I would <laughs> i hate to say i i'm disappointed but i can't be disappointed because he gave me no reason to believe in him i mean all uh-huh. the flaws that we laid out months and months ago and you're saying oh half your brain just wanted him to succeed to prove me wrong i mean that's really what you meant but come on andrew like <laughs> This guy's playing Uncle Uncle Drew's Soda Commercial Basketball. He's not leading his teammates. He's not playing defense. He's not putting his uh, supporting weapons in position uh, where they feel empowered to have success. Uh, He is talking a huge game, not backing it up. None of these things are surprises. This has been Kyrie's MO all season long, the inconsistency, uh, the fractures within their locker room, everything else all traces back to him. And uh-huh. they're playing against a very good uh, and very focused Milwaukee Bucks team. Good on offense, good on defense. You can even say great on offense, great on defense. And you can't have such a weak link as your main guy. Uh, you know, I just saw them quit basically on him and on each other in the fourth quarter of game four, the defense fell to pieces. Uh, Every time they'd switch Giannis uh, basically off of Horford, he could get whatever he wanted at any moment that he wanted. And all those supporting guys who the emailer mentioned, they're looking at Kyrie jacking up terrible shots, tough twos, you know, trying to make easy plays look difficult because that's what he loves to do. And they're saying, what's the point? Why are we even doing this? Like, we're not going to be able to trade shot for shot with Milwaukee if our shots are going to be so low percentage and ill-considered and you know just kind of playing to the crowd rather than trying to play to win the game and <laughs> i mean this guy
0: you're just killing me the, the Can only I tell thing you I, something well real quick look.
1: the only thing i could say is the best way to phrase kyrie irving is that he's a self-styled basketball genius okay in his own uh-huh. mind that's what he is
0: self-styled with lots of sneering and uh baked into that yeah i hear you okay look you may win this round of Kyrie Irving debates uh, I have a couple thoughts um, on a number of different fronts number one you're calling Kyrie's game soda commercial basketball might be my favorite grandpa <laughs> Golliver take of the last 12 months wasn't it uh, yeah well maybe they look the bucks are doing a good job taking Kyrie out of rhythm, and Eric Bledsoe, who took all kinds of shit for the last year from Celtics fans who talk about him like he's the worst player in the league, he has had some ugly moments on offense, but he has been awesome on defense and has been pretty great. Like, Game 4, he was he was really good across the board, and um, I, I it's nice to see him come through. On the Kyrie side, specifically, I think... Like somebody, an emailer wrote in and said, "Oh boy, sharp! That just like sums up your greased pig nature." When I said half my brain believes in Kyrie Irving, I think the best part about basketball is that there are certain questions that don't have definitive answers, and like, can you win with Kyrie Irving, has a really really complicated answer. And I think part of what we're seeing in this series is that if Kyrie Irving is going to be the catalyst for your offense for the entire game, and you're asking him to provide a stable baseline for the entire team, you're going to end up disappointed. I would also say that Kyrie has a set of skills that will make him really valuable as like a potential secondary superstar. Um, Not necessarily with KD. You and I were talking last night. I think that union would be a disaster, but like, I think his, his high leverage skills are still valuable and real and not to be discounted, but um, he's no, been I the hear you. in this series.
1: But I do want to kind of like just dig into that narrative a little bit because I think this idea that Kyrie's always been an incredible playoff performer and that because he can create a shot and go one-on-one and do mm-hmm. it against the very best defenses ever, that all of a sudden he gets this like gold star immunity for the rest of his career. I just don't think that was ever right. Uh, yeah. he's, he's missed multiple postseasons, uh, at various points due to injury. You don't hold that against him, but like that is part of the story. And then defensively, he can just be picked to death. And we saw Milwaukee do it kind of time and time again. I mean, he was their weak link defensively. Uh, and I think if he was going, as sort of the main guy, no longer in the shadow of LeBron against Golden State or Houston, it would be the same deal. I mean, we're seeing, you know, a five-on-five series where guys like Steph and Harden have had to step up their defensive intensity to such an incredible level to, you know, still be able to, you know, keep their team's Uh, you know, in it and be effective. And I think Kyrie would would hold his team back uh, if put into that same position. And frankly, he's not even in that same position. He's in a second round series against Milwaukee, a team that's still kind of getting its playoff legs. And he was absolutely a shortcoming. But even more than the defensive stuff or the offensive stuff, it's the leadership personality stuff. This guy has no clue. He has no clue how to inspire his uh, supporting cast members. You could tell that those guys were watching him take bad shots and they're thinking, hey, (laughs) now I've got the green light to go take bad shots. They're watching him at the podium dissect the officiating 5 minutes after Brad Stevens just said we're not going to be, you know, using officiating as an excuse, and yeah. they're seeing him do his thing in his own zone and, you know, talk a huge game but not actually, you know, deliver on a game-to-game basis. And of course, they're looking around like, yeah, whatever, you know, if it comes to the hard work of the fourth quarter of laying your body on the line to take a charge from Giannis or, you know, the other just nasty dirty work that has to get done in playoff games when they really get down the stretch. Those guys are like, I'm not going to do it for Kyrie. Come on. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to fold up. Even if I'm at home, even if I'm in front of a a rabid Celtics fan base, that's what happened.
0: Yeah, well, okay, so complicated response to that. Number one is you're right, and the reason I was laughing as you said it is because – like his, like, playoff acumen where we heard about it for eight months now, how great he was going to be when it when the games actually mattered. He's also been talking about his leadership for eight months and clearly has no idea how to lead. Um, so altogether, kind of a failure across the board for Kyrie. I would also, in the interest of balance, say two things. Number one, Kyrie is finding guys for open looks, and these guys are not knocking them down. I understand they might be out of rhythm because the offense doesn't really have as much ball movement and balance as it probably could in other contexts. But like the Celtics are missing a lot of open looks, um, and no, the Bucks deserve credit you. there. I agree with he, you, but
1: just real quick though, isn't Kyrie the biggest variable from those very same role player guys having so much success in last year's postseason and being the toast of the town and having everybody hype them up yes. and to now turn around and say those same guys are bums and they're not helpful and they're just bad players or fake good players, whatever, you know, you were kind of like jokingly calling them. I don't think that's fair to them. You know, if we're, well, sa- we're talking about fairness, we're saying, look, fit into the team context and the team context revolves around Kyrie and it just has not been a functional dynamic consistently this season.
0: Yeah, and what I would add is that th- it's really easy to blame all of that on Kyrie, but those supporting players should share in some of that blame because even if Kyrie isn't like the easiest teammate, the he clearly does raise the ceiling. The Celtics have been better on offense, like significantly better in this Bucks series with Kyrie on the floor. So some of the NBA is like, you got to figure it out. And, and like none of them have been able to figure it out. Um, I think like Marcus Morris has probably been the most reliable supporting player. Jalen Brown has actually been pretty solid as well.
1: Let but, me ask you though, can't we figure Kyrie out? Because you and I have spent years on this we podcast? Can't,
0: I sure calling can't. him <laughs> calling
1: him coffee shop Kyrie, dissecting his quotes, you know, looking at him from every angle. Can you yeah. imagine being Jalen Brown or I, Jason no. Tatum? and watching the way these playoffs have played out where Kyrie is going after the officials, promising he's going to shoot better, coming on the podium after a devastating Game 4 loss and saying, who cares about his shooting percentage?
0: (laughs) How do you figure that
1: out, Andrew? I I couldn't figure that out.
0: But I kind of love him for all this also because there's never been an athlete more mismatched to the city that he plays in than Kyrie in Boston. And I do enjoy how great he is at driving everyone in Boston completely insane. I hope he stays there for the rest of his career. Um, and my only regret, and it is a profound regret is actually picking the Celtics in this series because I've had to root for them in these games. I watched them get like carved up by Ersan Ilyasova and Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton in the third quarter with Giannis on the bench in game four. And I just, it's, Hurt my ability to truly appreciate how spectacular this disaster has been in Boston, but um, I gotta be honest. I didn't think Bud would make the adjustments, and I thought the Bucks would have a much harder time in this series, and I was flat wrong. I have to take the loss and uh well
1: that's big of you i'm sure the open floor globe and Giannis sink i mean we all appreciate that no no question i do think though it's more fun to kill Kyrie than to tell the real story of this series and the real story of this series is that Milwaukee's just better yeah uh, they've been better on offense they've been better on defense they had an incredible response in game two after they got punched right in the mouth in game one and Giannis was bottled up no doubt about it by boston's defense in game one he was thinking he was overthinking uh, he was making mental mistakes. He was getting himself in situations he shouldn't have been in, and he unlocked that defense with Bud's help. The shooters mm-hmm. stepped up. There's no question about it. Uh, getting him into more favorable uh, individual matchups where he could just basically pick on everybody besides Horford uh, has yeah. definitely helped, but he also just outlasted these guys. I mean, late in these games, he's going to the paint time and again, getting fouls and ones you know, spectacular dunks where, you know, it's almost on that same level of that windmill that Embiid had, uh, you know, last week against Toronto. I mean, just crushing, back-breaking plays, and that's the headline. I mean, Kyrie, it, frankly, is kind of a cute story here, you know, like it makes for a good radio because <laughs> we can crush him, uh, yeah. but the, the real, you know, headline story from this series is Giannis is better, well, <laughs> and, and, and his team has been assembled so well around him and their strategies have worked so well uh, to, to make his life easier as the series unfolded that I couldn't be more impressed with how they have responded.
0: There may be well no there are bigger bucks conversations to have about what's possible for them going forward because they've been that impressive um, and the defense has broken the Celtics like there were possessions in game four where Guys on Boston just looked like they were afraid to shoot because their confidence had been shaken that much by the switching, and I mean, they, the, the Bucks have been everywhere. And so I think part of it is the Celtics kind of falling apart, but part of it is this is the Bucks' defense breaking them on offense. Yeah. Um, How about and, that
1: Bledsoe block where he just spiked the ball into the hardwood, and it was like all those Drew Bledsoe jokes, just like
0: pow. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like I enjoy that Eric Bledsoe gets to have this moment, and Connaughton, like Mr. Masshole coming yeah. back to Boston and having two big games in Game Three and Four. I'm happy for those guys.
1: And the the key uh, adjustment to me was, you know basically ditching that Sterling Brown role from game one and just saying, okay, Miritich, you start, so that there's more spacing, a little bit more size up front, and then you know Giannis can just kind of go to work. I think that that was the right move at the right time for Coach Bud. Uh, I understood all the questions about will he make adjustments, this and that. He did when it mattered, and that's why they came out and are up 3-1 in this series.
0: Yeah, and the the last point is I think if there's one thing that has surprised me most it's how proactive bud has been adjusting on both sides of the ball and like a couple months ago a front office person told me that he had a player on his team who was part of bud's hawks teams who said look bud adjusted or bud made fewer adjustments in the playoffs than any nba coach he'd ever been around and um And that was kind of what I was expecting to see in this series, and it was 180 degrees the opposite direction. I think he's done a great job freeing up Giannis on offense and turning around and uh, employing the switching to great effect because the Celtics are totally screwed. So we shall see. Um, Do you have 10 more minutes to talk Nuggets Blazers at the end here?
1: I do, but can we give a quick shout out to the fake good shooters who made a few really good shots in this series? I mean, <laughs> Milwaukee, I hit, think hit twenty threes in game 2, 15 threes in game three. I mean, that's no joke. And
0: you know, I, you know what, man? What's great is that the Bucks fans, who I love, and real Bucks fans know that I have been around since day one, so they uh, are here hopefully going to give me a break at some <laughs> point here. But I love that every time the Bucks hit a flurry of threes people pop up in my mentions being like, oh, so fake good shooters, they sure are shooting well tonight. And um, yeah, it's tough. It's been a tough, tough week for me.
1: Hey, you know, shake it off. It's okay. I think that (laughs) your, your general premise that not every shooter will translate to the postseason, to me, it could still be proven true. I was actually disappointed by Boston's defense, their effort, focus, intensity, Uh, you know, drive, all of those things. I thought they were actually better defensively during the regular season and they just didn't come through uh, in the postseason. And I think that some of those shooters could still be tested if they get up against, you know, tougher competition. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it, it seemed like they were just kind of sniping Boston's defense. And uh, especially after game one you know it, it just like the center broke for boston and everything fell to pieces around that and it just yeah. became sort of this flurry that you're describing where it's like everybody can be a great shooter now because uh, boston can't <laughs> boston <laughs> totally. can't stop anything and i always doubted boston's offense you know you know how i felt about that but yeah. i really did trust their defense and if there was anything i got suckered into it was their defensive success in game one being sustainable and that just proved to be flat wrong and again credit to milwaukee for mental fortitude of you know being a relatively inexperienced team together in the postseason uh, being able to say you know what game one was actually an anomaly boston's not that good we can beat these guys and then going out and doing it three times in a row
0: yeah uh very very impressive across the board for the bucks right now um and shout out to mike in vermont a Bucks fan who emailed us and said, I know the Bucks are probably going to lose game four, but I'm going anyway because I'm ride or die for Giannis, Inc. And he was rewarded for his pilgrimage, which is awesome. And um, with that, Ben, let's shift gears to the Western Conference. But first, today's show is brought to us by movement watches stop what you're doing and look down at your left wrist because our friends at movement watches have got exactly what you're missing movement has you covered with tons of quality clean and all-around good-looking watches and accessories that we can actually afford and you can order right from your couch do your wrist and your wallet a favor Go check out what Movement's got, which, by the way, includes free shipping and returns. Ben, Movement made me a watch guy, so tell me a little bit more about Movement.
1: Movement watches start at just $95, so you're guaranteed to find something you love that won't break your bank. These guys are truly a ground-up entrepreneur success story. They understand living on a tight budget because they lived it too, and that's why they wanted to make quality products that are accessible to everyone. They've sold over 2 million watches across more than 160 countries, and their collections are always expanding just for you. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash floor. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. Go to mvmt.com slash floor, mvmt.com slash floor to join the movement.
0: All right. And today's show is also brought to us by LinkedIn Jobs Ben, when it's time to make a hire for your small business or listeners, really, you you don't have a small business, Ben, but naturally anyone wants to find the best person for the job they have. And odds are that person is on LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. They use knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people who fit that role best. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers. So LinkedIn understands what all these people are interested in and what they're looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on a lot more than just a resume. Ben, tell me a little bit more about LinkedIn.
1: Your LinkedIn job matches are based on skills and background, sure, but also interests, activities and passions. Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant qualified candidates for your role. That way you can focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to and make a quality hire that you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash floor and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com floor, linkedin.com slash floor. Terms and conditions apply.
0: All right. So tail end here. I'm going to just clear out for you. I saw that you wrote that the Nuggets have the most impressive win of the playoffs in Game 4. I would say that that series, I said on the last podcast, I'm just not that interested. Um, That is the final thing that I'm going to be wrong about today because Nuggets Blazers has been awesome in Game 3 and Game 4. The Nuggets continue to kind of shocked the world, I guess. I mean, I don't know if the world is actually paying attention to this team, but like every time basketball fans look at them and say, all right, well, it's been a nice run. Like they continue to come through. So what did you see from them in game four?
1: Well, we can tell the basketball world isn't paying attention to them because of how shamelessly Michael Malone is taking to the podium after every single game to like hype his team up <laughs> and to just like, you know, sing their praises and go so over the top. Because if this was a normal team, like if Brad Stevens did that, everyone would be like, Brad, you gotta tone it down. You're on like a fourteen, you gotta get down to like a six. Yeah. <laughs> but so I actually award podium MVP to Michael Malone for his consistent energy and optimism and uh, love for his players after every single one of these games it's just been great to see uh kind of hilarious too because he really is over the top but it's well earned
0: i think he's probably the funniest coach in the nba there are actually a a number of uh decent candidates in that conversation like d'antoni's generally pretty hilarious himself but um malone consistently has like one great one-liner per press conference that is like a plus
1: And like five minutes of just like pure, just like, I love Jokic, I love Murray. (laughs) We're going to be the greatest team ever. It's it's great. And I think he's up against it because everybody wants to overlook them. Understandably, young, inexperienced, first time in the postseason for a lot of these guys. They've answered every single question I had about them entering the playoffs already. I mean, they were playing with house money after they beat San Antonio and they continue to just be incredible. I mean, coming back from a four overtime loss on the road, in which your main player plays 65 minutes. You know, I was at the game the other night and I asked a bunch of media reporters, I was like, did you guys see Nikola Jokic eat that steak burger on the bench after the third overtime? And there was people who thought I was serious, right? Like,
0: <laughs> Because <laughs> like, that's where
1: the perception about him is, right? Like out of shape, he's not going to be able to do it. I mean, to me, Jokic has been one of the five most impressive players across these playoffs, period, yeah. full well, stop. Just to no, be very
0: clear though, I want to believe that he does stuff like that on the bench. I'm not ever deriding Jokic when I call him out of shape. I'm celebrating him because I love that someone as round as Jokic can go out and have 40 and 15 and completely dominate a basketball game.
1: No, it's incredible. I mean, these series have been played on his terms. His passing in late game situations is everything. I mean, Kyrie Irving should watch some tapes, to be honest, in terms of how you set your teammates up for success. A lot of other point guards could. And then Murray has just been incredible night after night. I mean, the knock on him has been the inconsistency. He absolutely has some low lows, but this guy has been stringing together a lot of impressive performances. He had six straight free throws down the stretch to seal up game four. I mean, that was uh, you know no joke at all. I think he told people afterwards that he had done a training session with his dad, where his dad would blindfold him and then scream at him while he was shooting free throws to kind of practice for those moments. Well, I guess practice makes perfect on that one, Jamal. Uh, but <laughs> in general, I mean, like that's a gr- it's been a great series back and forth. Even if yeah. Denver goes out, uh, like I said, they've answered every question and they're guaranteed to be like you know in the third spot of every podcast. Right, they're always going to be. You know, kind of the runners up in the conversations about who are these interesting teams or uh, who's who's been most successful or whatever else. They're probably still going to get worked by like the Golden State or or Houston, whoever comes out from that side. Uh, right. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the matchup issues catch up with them there. Uh, but compared to where they were at the start of the season, expectation-wise, or even at the All Star break, or even just coming into the playoffs, they've overachieved every step of the way, and they've done it through some really tough moments. Dropping game one to San Antonio, gutting out game seven against San Antonio, you know, thinking that the whole season was over after that game three loss—it's just been remarkable.
0: Yeah, um, and I was a Jamal Murray skeptic, and still kind of am a little bit, but um, he's he was phenomenal in games three and four, and I think that if you're on the Denver side, I wrote this after they lost game one to the Spurs, where like this this playoff run. They were gonna find out a lot about what they have because they have all these young guys, and I, it was gonna be pretty telling whether they were able to respond or some of these guys, whether it's Murray, whether it's Gary Harris, you know, even Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig, like whether they respond or fold. And almost to a man, everyone in Denver has responded and been pretty impressive, and um, and it's been cool to watch. I share. The concerns about like long-term ceiling um but who knows where they'll be in a couple years and who knows what the west will look like in the in a couple years which is probably the most encouraging point if you're denver like because if you take away this like rockets five out juggernaut and the warriors are more mortal like there's room for the the nuggets to do some damage so We will see. Um, Yeah, one quick comparison there.
1: Like we all crowned Utah, right? It's like, oh, they've got uh, Mitchell, elite defense led by Gobert. They're a team that's going to have to be contended with here for the next five or six years based on their players' ages and skill sets and identity and everything else. I'd be more worried about, you know, figuring out Jokic, trying to stop their offense and dealing with their young core than i would be utah's and so all the hype that maybe utah got and i'm as guilty as everybody of hyping up utah for some of that stuff i actually think denver deserves to just kind of like transfer all that hype you know like whatever we were saying about utah now has to go to denver because Jokic is going to be a problem for a really long time
0: yeah well and gary harris is a guy who gets lost in these conversations a lot but he's done a phenomenal job a job on lillard also so Um, Can I just finish off on one note because it has been a five-day stretch of crisis for Team Sharp, but can I tell you who my port in a storm was?
1: Of course, I'm guessing it might be Rodney Hood. Am I right?
0: One Rodney Hood came through and was phenomenal in overtime of game three, the fourth overtime. I never doubted him. There were a number of emailers who wrote in and said that was the Rodney Hood game. Just to clarify, we also got the Rodney Hood game halfway through last year's finals. It's just that the rest of the Cavs completely sucked in that game. Um, but. Rodney Hood Oh, yeah. Is... The rest of the <laughs> Cavs let down
1: Rodney Hood. Okay.
0: Exactly. That's the story I took away from the finals. Rodney Hood was awesome. And jokes aside, he's someone that I interviewed uh, before he was coming into the NBA. I've talked to him a number of times over the years. I've always really liked him. And he was struggling... For real, last year. You could tell. um, And it's cool to see him come out the other side in Portland and and actually come up big in a couple different moments through this series. And uh, I'm genuinely really happy for him.
1: No doubt about it. It was a phenomenal offensive rebound and quick touch pass from C.J. McCollum to set him up. He just absolutely buried that shot. Huge shot uh fantastic moment in in a series that's definitely been underrated hey andrew uh i know we didn't do a ton of emails on this uh episode but we've got a great batch of emails in the bank so guys keep those coming openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com andrew and i are going to double back later this week uh, and we're going to dig in deep to the mailbag so please participate also check me out on instagram at oliver. i'm going to put up a lantern prompt here pretty soon so be sure to participate that way as well also check us out on apple Podcasts by searching for open floor that's two words find our page scroll down there's a section that says rate and review tab five stars it's just that easy we're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor so check us out there hey andrew until later this week i will talk to you
0: all right man take it easy